Are you a Christian? Do you believe that you've been saved? If so, how do you know that you are saved? For that matter, how can we say that we are certain about anything? Today we'll talk about knowledge. We all think that there are things that we know for sure. Some things are self-evident. But have you ever experienced a moment where something you believe to be true turned out not to be true? Today on Craving Answers, Craving God, we'll try to find out what Aaron Miller knows about knowledge. Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Well, Aaron, I know that I know what I know. Isn't it just as simple as that? Maybe. Um, For you personally, that might be the case that you know something and you know it and you don't really need to think too much about what that means. Uh, Except for sometimes we know things. We know we know things, and then they turn out to be wrong. Um, also, y- you might know something, but it's important. There are times when it's important for you to convince me that what you know is true is true. But but I'm going to need to know how do you know that? You know, if you're if you're trying to convince me that my that uh, my neighbor is slowly trying to poison me, and that I need to call the police right now, I'm going to want to know like. How do you know that's true? If you're going to try to convince me that you have this whiz-bang financial investment that's going to make me incredibly rich for a long time, if I just turn over my savings account to you, I'm going to want to know. You might know that that's true, but I don't know that that's true. And so it's your job to convince me that you know it's true. And when you're doing that, what you're doing is, I mean, we're dealing with the, When you're doing that, we're going to be dealing with the question is, how can I know? How can I know? I know what you're saying. You can give me evidence, but how can I know? And so just by yourself on a desert island, you might know some things, and you know them, and that's fine, and that's good with you. But there are lots of scenarios where the question of how do we know things is very important, and it comes into play a lot. This topic strikes me as something that is centrally important. This is really important because it goes right to the core of truth. But at the same time, I never think about this ever. Right. So I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Either I'm delinquent on my my thinking, I should spend more time thinking this through, or it really doesn't matter. I know that I know what I know, and we're done. I... I think it is very important, and I think it's very worthwhile to think through and to talk about these things, especially if we're going to be talking about, like we try to do on the podcast, Chuck, if we're going to be talking about things that are more important than, uh, you know, the the basketball scores for the local high school team. I'm not saying that's not important, but, you know, we're not a sports podcast, we're we're not a movie podcast. We're not a real estate podcast. All those things are interesting, and I like podcasts about that kind of stuff. But we're talking about things that are – it's very, very important that people be able to figure out how do I know what's true. What's ult- When we're talking about ultimate truth, how do I know those things? So I do think it's worthwhile 
spending some time and thinking about the mechanics of knowledge and how it works. But I also think that your sense is, is very true as well, that knowing is something we just do. It's not, it's not, it's almost like breathing. It, you, it's, breathing is super important. If you don't breathe, you don't live. But it's not something that we contemplate too much. It's something that we just do, which is a good metaphor for knowledge, by the way. It's something we just do. Now, every once in a while, you got to stop and think, what is breathing? How does it work? How do I do it better? You, you say you got uh, uh, laryngitis or you've got pneumonia. You're going you're gonna to want to sit down with an expert and like think through, how, why am I not breathing well? How can I breathe better? But under normal circumstances, you just go about your day doing it. And knowledge is like this too. There are going to be times when we want to sit down, think about how do we do that. But under normal circumstances, it's something that everybody just does. If I say that I know something or I know someone, I'm saying I think that my description of that thing or that person is true. There are opinions, but isn't it true that there are also objective facts? I don't think that when you say, I know someone, that what you're saying is, that's true, that person is true. I, you know, when I say I know my wife, my wife is true. She does exist. But that's not what I mean when I say I know her. I mean that I'm, when I say I know my wife, I mean I'm committed to this lifelong give and take where I'm bouncing off of her and she's bouncing off of me. And if it comes down to objective facts, there are some stuff about her I don't know yet. And there's some stuff about her that I know that's actually shifting. There are you know, ways that she uses her sense of humor. There are clothing styles that she likes that are constantly ebbing and flowing and changing. And when I say I know her, I don't mean like, I, okay, I know the facts about her. I know her birthday. I know her favorite color. I know where she likes to shop. That's really not what knowledge is. That's, it's not, I'm not saying that's not important. But when I say I know my wife, I mean something more deeper and way more complicated than I, I have head facts in my head about her, which brings me, this is, I kind of hinted around at this earlier. I'll say this and then I'll stop talking because I, I don't want to ramble too much with, with a topic as thick as this. Knowledge doesn't happen between our ears as much as it's something that we do. Knowledge isn't something that goes on in our head as much as it's something that we live in. True knowledge, it, true knowledge is less about learning the facts about how a transmission works. And it's more about being able to sit in a car that's a manual transmission and be able to drive it. Even, like you pointed out earlier, Chuck, even when we're not even thinking about using the, the, the clutch and the gear shift, it's just something that we sort of do without thinking about it. That's true knowledge. Now, you can think about it as well. You can discuss it as well. Driving a stick shift is less about thinking about it and less about discussing it and more about just sitting in there and doing it. And real knowledge is about doing. It's about use. It's about relationship. And it's, 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 it's about those things way more than it is about what's going on in our head. You use the word thick to describe this topic. I mm -hmm. think that's a good word. This is, this is a threatens to be a very thick discussion, almost bigger than I can contain. So how do we squeeze it down so in the 
half hour or so that we have here, that when we get to the end, we will have actually arrived somewhere as opposed to just flying around in circles. I think we can arrive somewhere without squeezing it down. I'm scared that if we squeeze it down, we're going to take away its depth and its thickness. Um, there are some things that if you strip down, you know, if you take a car apart to, to try to understand, I don't know anything about cars. I don't know why I keep using car analogies this morning, but, uh, you know, if you take a car apart to try and understand it, you're not going to get anywhere in the car. And I think knowledge is like that. If we try, one of the problems that we have with knowledge is that we have tried to strip it down the past 300 years in the enlightenment West. We turn knowledge, we said, okay, so what's knowledge? Let's, it's going to be what's going on in your head. We prioritize rationality. This is one of the big problems of the Enlightenment, is we made rationality and reason the supreme state of human existence. When actually, uh, that just strips knowledge down to what goes on in my head. But then if you, if, you, if, you, if you do that, the things that you can fit into your head are so small, you can't know anything. Like, I, I can't say, like, I, I can't really say I know my wife uh, if, I, if I use the word knowledge to mean provability, things that I can rationally prove in my mind. I've just eliminated the knowledge of other human beings in relationship, which probably is related to why we're so lonely these days. It's because we've rejected the possibility of knowing other people since we can't fit them into our heads and knowing things is a huge risk. It's a massive risk to know my wife because I can't fit her into my head. I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't mean risk in the sense that like my life is at stake. I just mean I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge of knowledge. And we want to be in charge of knowledge so bad. So we like cut it down, whittle it down so that it fits in our brains. And then what we're left with is, you know, a few basic math facts, uh, how to convert Celsius to Fahrenheit, these sorts of things, which are, they're all good and helpful, but they're not, they're not thick enough and juicy enough and powerful enough to get us out of bed in the morning and move us, you know, move us around life with any sort of motivation. And so I, I'm, I'm nervous about the project of stripping it down. I think at the end of the day, we're just going to have to say, this is complicated, but that doesn't mean we, we're not going to be able to say, let's do something with this. So when we examine something to learn everything we can, can about it, or if you have lunch with somebody so that you can get to know them better, right, yeah. we are in pursuit of truth. We want to find out what the facts are, or what the realities are. This is kind of the scientific method, is it not? Can we trust the scientific method to reveal objective truth, if there is any objective truth? Um, first of all, Getting to know somebody better can't be about getting the facts. Like I said, it's it's much bigger than that. The facts about my wife. I can teach you the facts about my wife, but you don't know my wife like I know my wife, even if you know the facts. Um, it's much bigger than that. It's much, um, and, I, and I've already argued for this, so I don't want to belabor this point anymore, but it's, it's much more nuanced and, and bigger and vibrant and relational and always changing than that. If somebody says scientific, you know, this is science is the way that we do this. I'll say yes, definitely. Science is a way that we can get to know things. I mean, one of my big problems with and, and good scientists don't do this, but it's kind of a um, it's kind of a, a enlightenment myth. 
one of my problems with uh, some ways that scientists talk is this notion of we've done the research, we've done the testing, uh, we've crunched the facts, and now we can tell you for certain we know X is true. As soon as you hear a scientist say that, just say to yourself, okay, let's wait 10 minutes and the people that replaced you in the lab after you retire and pick up where you left off are going to come back with a report in 10 years and say, we have to adjust this stuff. It's We've learned some new things. Th that's what knowledge is more like. It's constantly, it's not like, let's get the facts and now we know for certain. When scientists talk like that, they're just blowing smoke. True knowledge is scientists always exploring and realizing we never get to the bottom of anything. Like my relationship with this fungi that I'm examining, I'm never going to be able to say I have 100% lockdown certainty. I objectively know this because that fungi is always doing things that mess you up. It's always coming up with some new sort of growth pattern or some new sort of bacterial thing that it's doing. I know less about science than I do about cars. This is this whole uh, episode is an, uh, an exhibition of my ignorance about Things, but you know, about your I, knowledge, yes, about my lack of knowledge. So, uh, but here I go. Uh, that fun guy is always causing the scientists to adjust and write new reports and come up with new, fresh discoveries. And every time they do it, they're getting another angle on it and another element of the depth and another chapter in the story of their relationship with that particular fun guy. If they ever stop and say, We have objective knowledge about this, they're lying. Or they're just confused. They they've fallen for the enlightened myth. Instead, what what should they say? What what they should say is, I'm going to spend the rest of the years that I have in this lab examining this particular fungi and just buying into it and knowing I'm going to learn new stuff every day. I'm never going to be able to per, per, fit 100 percent of this fungi in my head. To me, that's exciting. That's like that's energizing to me to know that there are things. That when we know things, it doesn't mean we 100% have them locked down. It means that we are participating in a relationship where we're constantly learning things and being changed by the things that we're learning and bouncing off this, whatever it is that we're engaging with in this knowledge act. That's exciting to me. Okay. So for the benefit of this conversation, I mean, if, if I were to walk up to somebody and say, do you know what knowledge is? I would expect them first to look at me like, what are you, nuts? It's, it's an obvious thing what knowledge is. And then I would expect them to say, yes, I, I know what knowledge is. And that would answer the question. But for this conversation, when you use the term knowledge or the word know, exactly what do you mean? I, I should, yeah, let me answer that by, by starting off and kind of finishing off something I should have said with our last, uh, with the last question. Those scientists do know that fungi. They know it. Do they have it 100% objective fact locked down in their head? No, that's not what knowledge is. But they do know it. I know my wife. Do I have her 100% figured out? Absolutely not. Is my wife an objective fact that fits in my head? That's so offensive. Absolutely not. My wife is another human being. When, when I know her, I'm engaged with her. And if somebody says to me, "What's first of all, the, the younger the people that you talk out talk to on the street, my college students, if I say to them, what's knowledge, they'll say, I don't know. And if I say, do you know things, they would say, many of them would say, no, you can't know. Knowledge is impossible. 
because they've given up, and I think rightly so. I think that the average postmodern person, especially the younger that you get, the more thoughtful that you get, like 18 to 35s, they'll say, you can't know stuff. Because what they're saying is this enlightenment version of knowledge, like just the facts, ma'am, or you know, scientists have it all figured. Scientists are the one who really know things. The poets don't know things. The musicians don't know. Scientists know things because they have objective facts. They've all rejected that. Not, I shouldn't say all, but a large part of them rejected that. And I want to encourage them. You actually can know things. I know my wife. When I say I know my wife, it doesn't mean I know exactly what she's going to do when I get home today. It doesn't mean I know exactly what you know what what clothing style she's going to be into two years from now. I don't. That's a part of the the adventure of knowing, is that you're joining. Here, here's yes for a basic definition of knowledge. Knowledge is relating to something. Knowledge is relating to something in a committed way. That's what knowledge is. Knowledge is, and I mean, you know, going to bring the Bible in here. We haven't talked about the Bible too much here, but and I know that's where we're headed. Knowledge, that's, and I might have said this in a previous episode. Knowledge, that's the Hebrew verb, the Hebrew idiom for um, for sex, for making love. I think that's the best sort of understanding of knowledge. Is it's not something that's happening in your head. It's something that you're doing in relationship with something else. With my wife, I know her. The scientists with the fungi, they know it. You, you get into your stick shift and you drive home, you don't even think once about what you're doing with your left foot or with your, uh, you know, with, with your stick shift hand, that's knowledge. You are relating to that vehicle in a way that's committed. You're in there, it's gonna get you home, it's the only way that's gonna get you home. I, I'm committed to my wife. I, I don't even mean marriage commitment, I just mean I'm in a relationship with her and I'm going to be bouncing off of her for the foreseeable future. The scientists are in a relationship with that fungi. They're going into the lab every day, and they're doing experiments, and they're doing research. That sort of committed relationship is what knowledge is. Does it? Th- there will be things that go into your head as a result of these, these relationships, but that's not actually the knowledge. The knowledge is the relationship itself. So in looking at uh, the Bible— and putting in the word knowledge to see what comes up, I've concluded that we can say that God has knowledge. We can say that we have knowledge. Are these two examples of knowledge, divine knowledge, human knowledge? It's all knowledge. It's just that God has more of it. But it's all the same thing. Is that true? Essentially. I mean, essentially, at its root definition, it is the same thing. The difference between God and myself is that God sees way more of the fungi that, than I do. God sees 100% of the fungi. God knows the, the life history of that fungi. It's natural history back, you know, however many eons. And it knows how it's going to develop and change over the next few eons or whatever. God knows my wife. God is in a relationship with my wife that's much more intimate than my relationship with my wife. He invented her, but he knows every human being. He doesn't just know my wife. He knows every human being. Uh, God doesn't just know fungi, but he knows every bit of um, uh, flora all over the entire world and all over the entire history of the universe. He knows. He has a relationship with all of these things. He's the creator and inventor of these things. I didn't invent the stick shift. 
So when I sit in my car and I use my manual transmission to get from A to B, I know it, but I don't know it like God who invented it. Well, I know another human being but is responsible for that, but God invented that human being uh, who had the responsibility for doing that. So I, God's level of knowledge is much more vast. His experience is much more vast. His ability to see clearly is infinitely greater than mine. My, my, my experience of Angela, my wife, is an Aaron Miller experience. And it can, it only happens through my eyes and in my, in, in my person. My oldest son has an experience of his mom that's much different than mine. Now, it's the same exact person. Angel's the same exact person, but he sees her completely different. He relates to her as son to mother, and that's a completely different experience. And the way that she relates to him is completely different than the way that she relates to me. It, which version is the correct one? Well, they're both correct, but they're both finite. They're both acts of, we both know Angela, but we both know her in a limited very subjective, personal way. that can, God knows Angela in every different facet because he's the creator of Angela, and I'm not. And so his level of knowledge is, is different. It's not just that he knows more facts, although that's certainly true. He knows whole, wholly and completely where I can only know in a limited way. I don't even, this next question I want to ask you, I don't even know if this is pertinent. So if it's not, just say, move on, Chuck. Um, okay. There's a lot of knowing going on in the early chapters of Genesis. Yeah. In chapter two, we read, quote, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil also there. So what kind of knowledge is being described here? And let's start by, I'm, I don't understand why the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. It doesn't say the tree of the knowledge of life. It, it confines knowledge to the good and evil tree. So I'm, I'm just basically confused from the start here. Yeah, I, I can talk about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, one way, the, the biggest way that we can misread this is we can read this as Enlightenment Westerners and say, oh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a tree that helps them understand what good and evil is. It's kind of what I think it means. Right. You get the facts of good and evil in your head, yeah. and now you know what evil actually is. Um, thinking not like a white person, but thinking like the original readers of the book of Genesis, thinking the way that actually the way knowledge actually works in real life. To, to say, don't eat this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to say that if you do this, you will have the knowledge of good and evil means that you will have an experience of good and evil. You've had the experience of good. Now, if you eat this, you're going to have the experience of evil, which is actually in the story what we see happens. They don't they don't achieve this new cachet of knowledge. They don't get a new download of knowledge in their head when they eat this fruit. What happens is they experience evil. They start to experience pain. They experience shame. They experience the brokenness of working and living in a fallen world that no longer, in an environment that no longer cooperates with them. What they're having is a knowledge experience. They're learning what evil is, not in their heads, but in all of their lives, including their heads, right? So when God tells them, don't eat from this tree, he's trying to get them to avoid a horrible experience, um, a knowledge experience. So when God finishes his creation, 
he looks at it and he sees that it is good. It's exceedingly good. Yes. That means that Adam and Eve's experience in that context is it's all good. It's exceedingly good. Yeah. Now comes the challenge of here's one thing, don't do this. Yeah. And they did it. And from that point forward, you and I, we've never had the experience or the knowledge of existing in a place where everything is good all the time. Yes. For us, yeah. it's all our knowledge is, I don't even know what the word is. It's, I guess, corrupted. Um, it's both good and evil, but but the good, the evil is always messing with the good. It's corrupting is a good word. Evil is always corrupting the good. So we have the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, handed down to us by Adam and Eve. Yeah. What can we? How do I ask this? What can we learn from this passage in Genesis where we find out that there was a time, but it was all good, and it wasn't like the daily life that everybody in in the world experiences now, which includes yeah. adversity and shame and all those things. What can we take from that? Is it just a, oh, darn, I wish they hadn't done that. I think that's kind of the way I look at it. Well, I, I, it makes me ache for a world where evil no longer exists. There's so, uh, um, there's the host of the pod. Ache is a pretty strong word. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, doesn't everybody? Doesn't everybody long to live in a world where there's no cancer? Well, yeah. And there's no war? Aching for that? I, I guess I'm just so used to the way it is and that it that there's nothing that I can do to make the aching stop. Yeah. I guess I just don't think about it much. Yeah, I, I would say don't give in. Don't give in. There's hope. God has promised to get us back there. But we don't, we don't know what that's like. All we can do is, you know, we're longing for a home to go back to a home that we've never been to before. That's what we're doing. But and when we get there, we'll recognize it. It'll be beautiful. But right now, we just don't understand it. I was going to say the um, host of a podcast I like called Heavyweight. The host's name is Jonathan Goldstein. He's a Jewish guy. from. He's Canadian. He's, he's a Jew. He wrote a series of short stories, imaginative short stories about um, some stories in Genesis. And I remember one of the stories he wrote um, this is after the fall, and Adam is standing outside looking up at the sky, and his son, one of his sons comes to him and says, Dad, man, that is an amazing sunset. And Adam says to him, yeah, you're right. But he thinks in his head, kid, you don't know what amazing sunsets are. You, you've never seen one, and you'll never see one. And that sort of like longing for that, that there's a transcendent beauty that we want to know and that we want to experience and that's out there. And that's built into us too. It's the knowledge of good and evil. We, we, we all know that cancer is bad. We know that war is bad. Why is it that we sense that? Well, it's because we have this built into us. We have these echoes of our old home. Really? They're still bouncing around in our mind that as, as humans, because we're made in God's image and we still long for it. I would encourage anybody not to give up. It's to say, to say that there's nothing but evil in store for us would be a mistake. And um, I would just encourage people that this knowledge of true good is out there, and, it, and God is bringing it to us eventually. In John chapter 16, after Jesus has been touring the countryside and he's been preaching and teaching, interacting with people, one of Jesus' disciples reacts to Jesus by saying, quote, now we know that you know all things. This is why we believe 
that you came from God. So the question is, does knowledge precede faith? We think it does. It's a mistake. Knowledge doesn't precede faith. That's a mistake the disciple makes here, that you know, Jesus' friend makes in saying, oh, now I know, so now I can believe. And Jesus, in fact, comes back at him and says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. So he says, you don't really believe. You don't believe. In fact, you're about to abandon me. Remember, if, 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 if true knowledge is relationship, He's saying, you don't believe in me. You don't know me. You think you know me. You think that you can believe in me because now you've got me figured out. That's a big mistake. Um, St. Augustine actually says this. I'm going to give you the Latin. Fides quorens intellectum. Faith seeking understanding. St. Augustine says it's the other way around. You believe and then you know. And that's the way it is. The only way to know how to drive a stick shift is not to study the rules about how to drive a stick shift. It's not to watch a YouTube video to figure it out. The only way to know is to trust, to climb into the seat and say, I'm pulling this thing out into traffic. And when I stop at a stop sign, I'm going to freak out and I might kill it three or four times, but I'm going to commit myself to this. And then, then I will know. It's the faith seeking understanding. The only way for me to say, I know Angela like the way I know Angela now is to have at some point said, I'm locked in. I'm committed to this woman. I'm going to wake up to her next to her every morning. I'm going to share my bank account with her. I'm going to get hurt along the way. I'm going to be confused along the way. But if I'm going to understand her, if I'm going to know her, I've got to commit to this. And this is the, the only way for a scientist. To Sounds like you to, could have said, "If I'm going to love her." Well, it, but well, it just depends on what we mean. I, you know, I was going to say, scientist. I, do I love a stick shift? Probably, more or less, no. The scientists, do they love the fungi? Maybe. Maybe, but the only way for them to understand the fungi is to believe it's worthwhile going to this building every morning, putting on this white lab coat and looking under this microscope at these little tiny green plant-like things, which doesn't make sense to me at all. I'm not interested in that at all, but I'm glad some people are. The only way for the scientist, the only way for any scientist to get to the knowledge of fungi is to say, all right, I'm going to do this 40 hours a week for the next X amount of years. Do you, do you want to call that love? Yes, I, I do. Uh, yes. On some levels, that, that's very much, especially when we're talking about people. I, love and knowledge very much go together frequently. There's also, that's, there, there's exceptions to this, of course. but I, Which makes it broad. Which makes it broad, yeah. I mean, you can know something that you hate. Um, uh you can know something that you hate, uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe this is complicated Careful. for for gener- <laughs> maybe this is com- complicated for, for instance, uh, war planners, generals on, on a chief, you know, during a war. I, I do think it's complicated to, to 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 hate fighting, to hate killing other people, and yet somehow they sometimes they learn to love it. It's a very complicated thing. I was that's. Uh, I, this is worth talking about, but probably not in a thirty-minute podcast. Um, what was I was going to say? One more thing about this. I don't remember. Go ahead. Psalm one hundred, verse three says emphatically. That is, the editors put an exclamation point in this uh, text. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, 
and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So this is an imperative. But as I read this, what if I'm saying to myself, I, th- I think I know God. I mean, I hope I know God. I wish I knew him better. Does the imperative leave room for my uncertainty? All of that is knowledge. All of that is knowledge. I, I, I hope I know Angela. I wish I knew Angela better. That's, that isn't, you know, again, the, the enlightenment notion of knowledge as this 100% certainty, provability, I'm going to get these facts in my head. That's a myth. It does not exist. And he said scientific knowledge, well, you know, I keep on using the fungi and the stick shift and Angela. Those, and those are all three different ways, of, you know, three different types of knowledge act. But the, they're all the case is that when you go in and you say, I will only know this when I 100% have this. It's not, that's just not going to work. Knowledge is committing yourself to somebody in such a way that you say, I want to know this better. I want to know this more. I'm not content with the aspects that I don't know. I'm going to keep on chasing those down. That's what knowledge is. Um, I, I know that my mom loves me. I know it. I know it more than I know that three plus three equals six. I know it, but I can't prove it to you. I can't fit it into my head. I'm just going to have to keep on living in relationship with my mom from here until one of one of us passes away. And I'm just going to have to keep doing it and knowing her more and more. That's actually true knowledge. True knowledge is not provability. True knowledge inevitably includes some contingency, some lack of lack of facts, some 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 gaps where I say that's a that's a dark space in my relationship with this person or with this thing, and I'm going to chase it down. We call that knowledge. That's the best definition of knowledge that we have. And as long as we, as human beings, as Christians, I'll speak as a Christian, if we think about our knowledge of God as that. We won't fall into the trap of saying, well, I don't know everything about God. That must mean like God's unknowable. You can't prove God, and so you can't know God. That's nonsense. I can't prove my mom loves me, but I know she does because it's a relationship. And if somebody, like God says, know, be still, and know that I am God, or Psalm 100, know ye that the Lord, he is God. If somebody says to me, well, prove it, I'll say, that's not the way knowledge works. All I can do is say, come and hang out with me. Come and join this journey with me. Come and try it out. You're going to have to get into the seat at some point, put the key in the ignition, push that clutch pedal down with your left foot, and get going. That's the only way. To, that's, that's what real knowledge of God is. So what happens when you say, you're a Bible reader, you've read, know that the Lord, he is God, and you say, I know that he is God. End of story. And then you encounter somebody who says, I know that there is no God. What happens then? Well, first of all, I would never say, I know that he is God, end of story. Part of knowing is that you're in this story. There's not an end to it. I know that I know God, but I don't know him perfectly. I don't understand everything about him. There's large swaths of time where I'm super confused about who he is or what he's doing. It's the same thing with my relationship with Angela. Again, I would never say, I know that I know God. I know that God exists 100%. I would never say that. I would say, what are your experiences that lead you to think that God doesn't exist? Let's walk through those together. Let's let's think about those together. Why don't you come participate in life with me, and we'll see which one makes best sense of our stories, God or non-God. But I, I don't have any three or four proofs to give anybody. I go just say, come and see. 
Like, let's walk through this together. And it, that, that's very scary. There's contingency there. I lose control. I'm giving up part of my control, A, to God, who I believe is in charge of everything, and B, to this other person who I can't control, like I can't control anybody else. And that's a part of the fun of knowledge is to jump into the, a relationship with God and with other people and with fungi and stick shifts and say, let's see where this ride takes us. Okay. Well, one thing we proved is it is a thick topic. And I guess all I can say is at the end of our show today, I hope you know more than you did when you first joined us. For me, every time I learn something, it has a way of revealing not how much I know, but how little. I guess that explains in part why we are all craving answers, craving God. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rathard.